Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Recently, I was at a, uh, a school event, and we did one of those, uh, those icebreakers, getting to know people in the groups that we were with, and uh, they asked that, that one, maybe you've heard it before, if you could have dinner with a famous person from history, who would it be? So, question for you. Who would you pick, and who do you think I picked? Go ahead and, and t- turn to the person sitting next to you and actually answer the question. Who would you pick, who do you think I picked? Who's coming over for dinner? All right, who's coming over? Who, who did I pick? Tolstoy. Tolstoy. <laughs> uh, maybe. Yeah, I would, yeah that, would, that would have been good. No, of course I picked Jesus. Come on. No, a- actually, no, uh, in, in all honesty, I did pick Jesus because um, in that group, uh, there was actually one of my students who's in one of my classes right now, and uh, I've seen in some of her papers that she's a believer. And I wanted to encourage her by um, my identification with her as, as a believer. And it's difficult, you know, when you're in a public school. Um, and so I did that because, you know, I wanted to reveal my worldview to her and to the other students there to, to speak boldly um, about, about Jesus. Um, I also picked Jesus because, I mean, if I'm really thinking about it, and I, and I think if we were all really thinking about it, um, we would want have dinner with Jesus. Because we all long to be in the presence of someone who is strong and stable, someone who is safe, someone who is confident and grounded, and yet gentle and and nurturing. And I'll be honest with you, when I read about the transfiguration, I'm a little jealous of Peter, James, and John because they got to hang out with Jesus and see this miraculous transfiguration. But I have some encouragement for us today because we don't have to be jealous of those disciples. So would you just pray with me as we study God's word together? Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us this morning with the same power and vividness and clarity as you revealed yourself to your disciples in that moment in which you were transfigured on Mount Tabor. And may we see you for who you really are resurrected in power, and yet here with us. And may we be strengthened by the very real encounter we will have with you this morning through your body, the church. Amen. You know, it, it's, it's so fitting that we are concluding our Together with Jesus study of 1 Corinthians on this Transfiguration Sunday. Um, Way back in the 4th century, uh, theologian Leo the Great uh, explained the significance of the transfiguration this way. He said the great reason for this transfiguration was 
to remove the scandal of the cross from the hearts of his disciples, from disturbing the faith of those who had witnessed the surpassing, surpassing glory that lay concealed. And he was also providing a firm foundation for the hope of the Holy Church. The whole body of Christ was to understand the kind of transformation that it would receive as his gift. The members of that body, that's us, were to look forward to a share in that glory. So yes, the transfiguration was a gift to Peter, James, and John, but it is an enduring gift for us. And as we look at the way Paul concludes 1 Corinthians, his instructions to a dysfunctional church, um, we see some overlap between these two moments. For Paul realizes that the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the body is the promise and hope of the church. So he ends his letter uh, here in chapter 15 by exploring the resurrection and, and looking at all of its different facets and all of its glory. So if you noticed um, in chapter 15, the first 11 verses, uh, Paul talks about the resurrection of Christ himself. Uh, in the next 20 verses, he talks about the resurrection of the dead, those who have gone before us. And then in that final section, what we read this morning, Paul talks about the promise of the resurrection of the body. Now, it's, it's surprising that Paul ends here because this, is, this letter is a lot of instructions to a church that was fragmented and stratified by class, by a lot of biases and prejudice. And it was really confused because there was a lot of varying theological traditions in their day. In fact, some of the believers even doubted the resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of believers. But no one doubted the resurrection of Christ. And so to get everyone on the same page, Paul builds up to this crescendo and focuses on this irrefutable and indisputable fact, the resurrection of Christ. And in this we see that the resurrection is, is not only a promise for the future state of our bodies, but it is a declaration of a transformative power available now that results in many effects, and not least of which is the unification of Christ's church. For as we declare in the creeds, and regardless of any of the other theological practices or theological distinctives, central to anything and everything that it means to follow Jesus as his disciple is the declaration of, number one, Jesus died for my sins. Number two, he was buried. And number three, on the third day, he rose again and appeared to his followers. And so the resurrection becomes a promise of the unification of the church, but also of the transformative power that is available to each of us as individuals as we live as disciples of Jesus. This is something Paul iterates many times throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
that Jesus was just the first one of us who would ultimately defeat death by his resurrection. Now, Paul seems disinterested and unwilling to speculate about the particulars of exactly how the resurrection of the body will work. The, the chapter begins with those questions. Some will ask, and he doesn't really ever answer those questions. But he does promise that we will all be changed. He does promise that the perishable will be raised imperishable. That the mortal will be clothed with immortality which is basically a promise that everything that destroys or distorts or twists or harms that which God declared very good at creation, that's us, brothers and sisters, human beings. Everything that destroys that will be eliminated. Someday, all wars will cease. Lord, have mercy on the people of Ukraine. Someday, we will be able to say that death has been put to death. We will declare the words of Hosea that Paul quotes here, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? But Paul is promising not only the future death of death itself, but for right now, the death of the power of sin. This is available to us in part here and now when we become part of the family of God. This is the purpose of baptism. Paul talks about that a lot in this chapter. We put to death the old ways and we are resurrected, raised again in new life in Christ. The resurrection is not just an event of the past. And it's not just a promise for the future, but it is something powerful right now. Look at the way Paul concludes this chapter in his letter. But thanks be to God, he gives, notice the present tense of that verb, us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Again, present tense. Let nothing move you right now in the present tense. Always give yourselves fully right now in the present tense to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Yes, Paul wants us to have courage and hope about the future. But he also wants us to have courage and hope about right here and now. And in the next couple of minutes, I want to offer some encouragement, maybe even some clarification about those closing phrases because Maybe you're feeling really weary right now. And Paul, talking about working and laboring for the Lord sounds really intimidating. Maybe you've had a completely exhausting week wherever you work, whether that's doing schoolwork as a student or serving your family as a stay-at-home parent, caring for a loved one or a grueling job. If you feel like standing at all, let alone standing firm, is almost impossible right now, I want to give you some encouragement that the resurrection offers us here and now. 
Now, early in my study um, uh, for this sermon, I was reading about the Transfiguration, and I came across a commentary uh, that made Peter out to be sort of a negative object lesson in that Transfiguration. Maybe you've heard something along these lines. Now, I don't know if this commentator was influenced by that parenthetical statement in verse 33 that Peter didn't know what he was saying. Or maybe he was, you know, back-reading some of the other foolish things that Peter has said later in the Gospels. But the writers seemed intent on chastising Peter for wanting to put up those temporary shelters and wanting to hang out there on Mount Tabor for a while. At first, that stuck with me, and I was like, yeah, Peter, you should want to get off the mountain and go preach the gospel. But over these last few weeks, the part of the transfiguration that has stuck with me the most, and the fact is that I've been finding it harder and harder to find anything wrong with what Peter said. Master, it is good for us to be here. Isn't that what we're all longing for? Isn't that what we want so desperately, being in the presence of Jesus? It is good for us to be here. It is good for us to be here. It is good for us to be here together with Jesus. And the resurrection is all about this tension between the now and not yet. So what are we to do while we are waiting for the resurrection of our bodies as Paul is talking about here? Well, we learn that, yes, we are to give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. There's no question about that. And there is, in fact, much to be done here to prepare the way of the Lord, to prepare this creation for the coming of the new heavens and new earth. That is true. But I think we learn something a little different and equally important from Peter. And Peter's desire to just want to hang out on a mountain in the presence of Jesus and his brothers. Now this is not the American way. And maybe this is why that commentator found some fault with what Peter was asking for, right? Maybe he thought Peter wanted to live there permanently and that he was more interested in preserving this mountaintop experience and selfishly hanging out there instead of bringing the good news to people who are suffering. But I don't think, I don't think that was Peter's point at all. I don't think he had any intentions that this was going to be a permanent dwelling. I think he just knew that this was an opportunity not to be missed. Something special and something essential for what God wanted to do next in the story of humanity. And for a time, at least, he didn't want to do anything. He just wanted to be there in the presence of Jesus, soaking in the glory of God. Our American way reinforces a belief that doing is greater than being. That doing something is always better than just being, whether that's being with Jesus, or our family, or our friends, or alone, or even our coworkers in our church. It's so hard 
to just be. We've become experts in multitasking, which is to say that we don't devote adequate time and attention to anything or anyone. In store lines, at traffic lights, between class periods, and even while we're waiting for a YouTube video to load, we pull out our phones. Um, not that long ago, I was actually reading an article with some of my students about some research showing how uh, social media is rewiring and remapping the way that our brains are taking in information. Uh, the article is called Skim Reading is the New Normal, and it was making this connection between the way that we skim through text, you know, or, or data or social media streams on our phones, and that we carry that into other situations where we're reading text on a printed page, and even the way that we read people. This was not an article condemning social media. It was an article that was intended to bring our awareness to the fact that if we're not careful, if we don't continue to learn to be present and read deeply, we'll not only forget how to read printed text, but we'll also learn how to read people, and we will lose empathy. It made me think about uh, a quote from a, a book by Pastor Rich Viotis that I was reading recently. He said, perhaps when you look at your life, you think, I don't feel close to God. Maybe I'll add to that, you don't feel close to other people. But the deeply formed life is first about who we are becoming before what we are doing. So think of your favorite places to just be. Go ahead, in your imaginations, think about those places. Those vacation spots. Those tranquil locales. Those still places where you are able to become aware of God's nearness to you. In your heart, in your imagination, Rediscover those quiet places where you become attentive to Holy Spirit's dwelling in you. I'm thinking about some vacation spots that my family likes to go to in Michigan. I'm thinking about a retreat center not too far away from here that has this beautiful lake. I'm thinking about walking along the Gilman River or along the Fox River, or the Gilman Trail in the Fox River. Think about a place, that mountaintop place, for your personal experience of transfiguration. God is inviting you into a moment of transformational power where being present in relationship transforms you. Relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relationship with other believers, for it is good for us to be here, gathered together, and being transformed together by being together. And so in this way, the transfiguration is not only an event of the past, and it is not only a promise of what will come. It is an invitation into what part of the resurrection and future glory that is available to us right now. So this is our last in our series 
on 1 Corinthians. And it's the last Sunday of Epiphany in which we celebrate God's revelation to us, the Gentiles. And we transition from now this point of Epiphany into the season of Lent. And we are invited to be encouraged by the revelation that the restoration of all things, the resurrection of the body, is already at work in the world, in and through the church. That when we are on mission, our fundamental call is to be present to God and one another. Lent is a great opportunity to experience that transformation. As we fast from some things, from some habits, as we create more space in our lives, it is a great opportunity to practice being present to God and present to one another. It is a great season of awakening our need for each other as we increase our habits of lingering and gathering. Lingering, being present here for one another, like we will today with our convivio. Gathering as we continue in homes to celebrate the Together with Jesus challenge. And again, through fasting, by being present to God as we eliminate distractions from our lives. There is a promise of resurrection for all who believe. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Be transformed, transfigured by being present, present to God, present to one another. For indeed, it is good for us to be here together with Jesus. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.